Good to see you guys. Do you guys remember the passage we looked at last week for starters? Kind of start out with a test. <coughs> Not a good way to start. It's 1 Corinthians. There you go. 1 Corinthians 16.13 Be on your guard. Stand firm in faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. As I said last week, I think that's one of the, um, the greatest charges to men in all of Scripture. It's um, not homework assignment necessarily or heavy requirement. I think it's saying to us, be who you are. What we really have inside of us as men. Men do stand guard. In the Navy, or in the military, or with your family, or at work. Men do stand guard. And last week we talked about, above all else, guard your heart. Because it's the wellspring of your life. Um, Number one on the list, protect what your heart is all about. It's purity. It's inspiration. It's joy. Protect that, because it's where everything else starts. And tonight we're going to talk about the second part of that verse. Stand firm. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. As we referred last week, uh, there's been, over the last few years, there's been an awful lot of stuff that's gone on that's rocked the world of men and women. Yet the Bible says stand firm. There has been an awful lot of economic, political, marital, employment stuff going upside down in the last few years, right? Yet we're told to stand firm. How do you do that when everything's bouncing and rolling and rocking back and forth? It kind of reminds me of... uh, When I was growing up in the 60s, and some of you appear to have been around at that time as well, (coughs) supercharger. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, When uh, the culture of the United States changed so much, it was like you didn't know what to trust anymore. Everything started falling apart. Presidents assassinated, candidates assassinated, Martin Luther King assassinated, riots, cities burning down. Um, The Vietnam War uh, creating turmoil and strife within our country. Generations fighting against generations. If you guys remember that, like they say, you weren't there. If you do remember that, um, it was a time of unbelievable turmoil. We're not quite in a situation like that perhaps right now, but we're in a time that requires great faith to stand firm in the faith. There are typically four reactions to calamity. Those who study uh, human behavior, four typical reactions to calamity. One of them is gut emotional response. You don't have to think about it. It's just out of your gut. Shock. Panic, dread, fear. 
some of us around this table have experienced gut emotional response in the last few years. I have. A second typical response, creeping powerlessness. Feeling paralyzed because what we face is too big. We don't know what we can do to change the circumstances around us. We feel powerless. I've felt that in the last few years. So far I'm batting a hundred or a thousand. Visceral rage. Anger against the system. Rage at those who failed us. Perhaps even anger, dare we say it, anger at God himself for what he has allowed to enter into our lives. Rage and anger. I felt angry in the last few years. Got emotional response, creeping powerlessness, visceral rage, pointless floundering. Just do something. Flail around your arms. Go somewhere, do something, quit something, start something, fire somebody, divorce somebody. Just do something. Pointless floundering just to try to straighten out the mess that we're in. Those are four of the typical responses that we have to calamity. And what I want to share with us tonight is there's a fifth. Any guesses as to what it might be? There's a clue. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm on what you know, what you believe, what you know about God. Stand on that. A number of years ago, about three years ago, there was a situation where um, the world saw an example of a guy demonstrating unbelievable firmness and strength in the midst of a gigantic mess. If I say his name, you'll remember the story. Captain Sullenberger. Remember that? U.S. Air Flight 1549. Came face to face with calamity. Birds sucked into the engine and the plane's going down. And he safely lands it. He could have chosen to respond with rage. Caldang birds. Doesn't sound like rage, does it? Powerlessness, pointless floundering, flipping switches, doing all sorts of stuff. But everything in his training, everything in his knowledge of aerodynamics, everything that he had studied about that airplane came into play and allowed him to stand firm. The co-pilot was the guy who was flying when it went into the flock of birds. As soon as that plane went out out of control, Sullenberger said three words. I'll take it. I'll take it. I take this responsibility on my shoulders. Don't worry. I got it. And he saved 155 lives. Hudson River. Yes. Probably never been done before. Quite like that anyway. Saved 155 lives. He wrote a book called Highest Duty sometime afterward, My Search for What Really Matters. In it, Sullenberger tells how his whole crew immediately went to their training on what they knew, what they knew they could trust. They shouted commands, brace, brace, heads down, stay down. 
Hearing their words comforted and encouraged me, he said. I had faith in them. Even in the most deadly of circumstances, the act of standing firm comes down to what do you believe and where do you place your faith? And it's the same for us guys. In, in whatever might have hit you over the last four years, or whatever you might be facing today, or tonight, or tomorrow, I want to encourage you with those two words, stand firm. And I'll throw three more in the faith. Stand on what you believe. How do we do that? I want to share a verse with you. It's called or it's uh, Psalm 20. <clears throat> Actually, two verses, 7 and 8. Psalm 20, 7 and 8. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall. But we rise up and stand firm. Some people trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. What does that mean for us? I think there, there's a couple of things these verses are saying. Those who trusted in chariots in this verse are trusting in technology. Chariots were the high technology of the day. That was the way wealthy, powerful guys got around. Most people walked in sandals. Some might have a horse. Very few chariots. Technology. Some trust in chariots. How might we do that today? If we have a trust in technology or in the systems around us, trusting that our financial systems, the marketplace structures, will get us through whatever we face economically. We might think the stock market's fallen. Now's the time for me to make a killing. Sell at the right time, buy again before everyone else does, get the right software, use it to outsmart the pros, stay up late at night, hit that thing at three or whatever it takes to outsmart everybody. We might think that that's the solution to our issues. Technology, systems, structures. Is it wrong or unethical to invest in the stock market? No, I don't think so. But if we think that our perceptive insights into leveraging technology or the systems of the world are our hope, uh, we got something else coming. As just about everybody saw five years ago. Everything that we thought you can count on went upside down. And most people, at least in this country, if not most of the Western world, lost 40% of everything, at least. As they say, the 401ks turned into 201Fs. Lost 40%. It's not unethical to invest in stocks, or to be smart, or to be shrewd, or to be wise. It's not unethical, but it's ridiculous to think that's the solution. This is the deal. This will solve everything for you. No, that's foolish. That's trusting in chariots. Psalm 20 goes on to say, 
some trust in horses. What would that be? The equivalent today. Effort. Striving. Power. Strength. Human ability. Horses were the standard of power in that day. And in fact, we still refer to, refer to uh, power in terms of horsepower. A parallel for today would be to put our trust in sheer effort. Sheer force of will. I'll put in whatever time it takes, whatever effort, whatever the cost, whatever price I have to pay or that my family has to pay. I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to make it work and I'm going to win. I have a friend who leveraged everything he had to buy up several acres of land a few years ago. Lives in Illinois. Bought a bunch of property in Colorado, oddly enough. Waiting for the prices to inevitably rise, as of course they always do. He was stunned when everything fell. And when he was forced to sell, he lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and faced bankruptcy. We may think, now is the time to leverage everything. Housing market, buy, fix, flip, sell. No one will outwork me. I'll survive. In fact, I'll thrive. Is it wrong or unethical to be a hard worker? No. Of course not. Is it wrong to put in uh, long hours in pursuit of something that matters, that's significant, that provides for your family? Of course not. Is it wrong to be a good worker if, if your employer is paying you well? No, not at all. It's not wrong. But it's foolish. See ya. It's foolish to think, this will be my salvation. My effort, my work, my horsepower is what I will trust in. I stand firm on me. No, guys, that's short-sighted. It's foolish. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. But the psalmist says, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And the Lord has many names in Scripture. And one of my favorites is Jehovah Jireh. Anybody know what Jehovah Jireh means? Provider. God, the provider. He who provides. Do you remember the story that that name was first used or where it, where it came from? Uh, Abraham is promised, I will give you descendants like the stars. And then he has a son. And he's told, sacrifice this son. Lay him on an altar. Take that knife and pierce him. And you've got to be thinking, Abraham is completely bewildered. Completely confused. Maybe angry. Certainly confused. And then he comes down with that knife and the angel holds back his hand. And the sacrifice is seen in the bushes. Jehovah Jireh. God has provided. He stood firm. Friends, what do we remind ourselves of when we confront confusion and fear like Abraham did? 
What do we believe when our faith is tested, as it often is? Maybe even tonight or tomorrow, our faith will be tested in some way. Lord, will you help me resolve that problem? Will you give me the words to say to my wife? Will you help me with that intractable problem I constantly have with my 16-year-old son? Will you provide the finances for that bill that's two months overdue? The things that we face. Will we turn to chariots, technology? Will we turn to horses? Effort. Just sheer effort. This verse is saying, we will put our trust in the name of the Lord, our God, Jehovah Jireh. I want to read another passage for us. It's Exodus 14. That describes another story where the children of Israel uh, run into a jam. Moses has just taken them out of slavery in Egypt. Now they're lost in the desert. They're chased by 600 soldiers and they're standing on the edge of the Red Sea. Exodus 14, verses 10 through 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. <laughs> I mean, that, that phrase is filled with meaning. As Pharaoh approached with his 600 soldiers, they looked up. Oh boy. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. You'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only stand firm. This passage not only illustrates the truth that we're talking about tonight, stand firm, it also illustrates some of those examples of how people in a panic and facing calamity respond. Verse 10, gut emotional response. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Terrified. Verse 11, visceral rage. You might say dripping sarcasm. What? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us to the desert to die? Fair amount of sarcasm in that sentence. Verse 12, Creeping powerlessness. Why did you bring us here? We'd rather be slaves in Egypt than die in the desert. They were experts at all of these classic responses to calamity. They demonstrated all of them. Sometimes we do too. But then Moses' response in verses 13 and 14. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. You, don't, you need only stand firm. 
The voice of the Lord tells us, when things look desperate, when we're tempted to panic, to stand firm on what we believe. Remember what we believe about God and his character. And we'll see deliverance. The kinds of challenges we've been facing bring all sorts of questions to the surface for us. What will become of my retirement and investments? For some of us, that's already been answered. Ain't got none. <laughs> Don't have any retirement. No investments left. What will, do, what will I do if I lose my job? Well, based on the question last week, how many of us have lost a job over the last five years, many of us have already encountered the answer to this question. What do I do now that I have lost my job? What will become of my son serving in Afghanistan? How could God, a loving father, allow me to get in these circumstances? They're deeply unsettling questions, but they're not as deep as the deepest question. The deepest question in life, none deeper, is what do I believe about who God is? It's the deepest question. What do I believe about who God is? Why is that the deepest question? Because our answer to that reveals everything else. I don't believe God is. Okay, then I'm going to see that in your life. Well, I believe God's alive, but he really isn't paying attention and he doesn't care. We're going to see that in your life. I believe that God is personally con concerned with me and who I am, and he's in charge. And I don't have all the answers, but I trust him. We're going to see that in your life. It's always the deepest question. There's no deeper question than that one. What do you really believe about God? Those who sincerely trust in God will learn to stand firm on what we believe about Him. He's in charge. That's the first thing. God is in charge. He's sovereign and He's paying attention. His eyes are on us. He says he will deliver us. We place our hope in him. Second thing about God is he refines us. He's in charge. He's sovereign. He refines us. That usually involves some testing. Usually involves some heat. Involves pressure. Resistance. Not ease. Not relaxation. He refines he purifies. We know that about God. Acts 14.22 says, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. God is in charge. God refines us. Third, God delivers us. He will guide them, who, those who trust him. He delivers us. Now, there's a couple of ways the word deliver is used in scripture. Many times it's, it's referring to turning someone over to. The Lord delivered them from the Egyptians. Turned them away from. Or he delivered them over to their sinful lifestyle. He let them experience the consequences. This use of the word deliver is different. Take them through. 
take them through. When we have trials and hardship, when he is refining us, he takes us through. He delivers us through to the other side. Fourthly, God blesses us. He honors those who persevere. Let me read three verses for us. Romans 5, 3 and 4. We also rejoice in our sufferings. Huh? <laughs> we rejoice in our sufferings, Paul says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character brings hope. We rejoice in our suffering. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor to the name of the Lord Jesus. And then James 1.12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So guys, we can be assured of a number of things. We will experience hardship. We will experience trials. Disappointment. Difficulty. Temptation, failure, loss, discouragement. We will experience those things. And we can respond with rage or powerlessness or floundering or we can stand firm in faith. Stand firm in the faith. Stand on who you know God is. He's in charge. He does refine he does deliver us. And there is reward waiting. There's reward just even in the, the act of perseverance through our trials. Will we trust in chariots, the technology of the world? That's pretty well failed us on a regular basis. Will we trust on our horses, our own horsepower, our own efforts, or for some other guy to rescue us? I don't know if you guys saw the debate last night. I'm not standing firm on either one of those guys, to tell you the truth. I'm not. I'm going to vote for one. I'm not standing firm on either one. They don't have enough horsepower. We trust in the name of the Lord our God, one of the names being Jehovah Jireh. God provides. He's in charge. He refines us. He delivers us. And He will bless us. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray together as a group with these men and at the same time, though I don't know them and their circumstances, I pray for each individual guy here. And for whatever Jack or Steve or each one of the other guys is facing today or yesterday or tomorrow, I pray, Father, I pray specifically for him. 
that as he encounters trials and difficulties, he will not rely on technology, chariots. He will not rely on horses, power, effort, strength. He will trust in the name of the Lord our God and will stand firm. And Father, uh, there's no guarantees in that. That doesn't mean he gets his way, nor do I get my way. It just means you are sovereign. You deliver us. You refine us. And you transform us into a man that looks more and more, a little bit more each day, like Jesus. And we ask that you would do that in our lives, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.